All right, I want to start our teaching time this morning uh, with a little game called uh, Would You Rather? Okay, so on the Would You Rather game, I'm going to give you two or, or more things to consider, and then I want you just to think about what your preference is going to be for an experience, okay? Okay, so would you rather uh, go deep sea diving with the world's greatest diver in shark-infested waters? Okay, that's option number one. Uh, would you rather uh, do that? You see there. Or would you rather go skydiving with the world's best skydiver? Okay, that's option number two. Or would you rather go climbing, uh, cliff climbing with the world's greatest cliff climber? And you might not be able to see the, those two there uh, very, very well here in the room, but uh, they're, they're climbing together. Now, 20 seconds, think about it. Uh, those of you who are watching from home, go ahead and put it in the YouTube chat box, which one you would prefer, uh, you guys here. So remember, um, uh, uh, shark-infested waters, number one, skydiving, number two, uh, cliff climbing, number three. Go ahead and choose one there. How about in the room, two there? How about two, two, three, one? Two. Okay, we have uh, neither, right? Uh, so we have uh, people willing to go skydiving. That's pretty cool. Uh, that's, that's great. Well, the reason I think, or at least I could admit for me, the reason that I would dare consider doing any one of these three uh, is because I would have a trusted leader with me and a trusted leader uh, to guide me. Well, the stunning claim of Jesus in scriptures is that we can trust him is that we can trust him with every single aspect of our lives we can trust him to navigate us through this chaotic and uncertain time that we find ourselves in we can trust him with our relationships like our marriages and our parenting and our friendships we can trust him to lead us through uh, stress and anxiety we can trust him on our jobs Get this, we can trust him on that day when we all will, unless the Lord returns first, that we will all walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We can trust him to shepherd us through. And get this, we can trust him to be with us on that day we face God. And that if we are in him, if we have taken him, he is going to hold us through even that time. The promise, the promise of the faithfulness of God, the promise of the faithfulness of God, though, comes with a premise. It comes with a premise that we would believe in Him. The promise of the faithfulness of God over every area of our lives comes with a premise is that we would trust Him and that we would believe in Him. Well, today... We continue our series at Jesus, following the way of Jesus. And we take a look at this idea of having faith, of having this sense of life-changing faith, or as Jesus calls us, to believe in him and to have a faith that just gets up and goes to work for us every day, that impacts every aspect of our lives. If you like taking notes, uh, we provided uh, a journal for you for this series. For those of you uh, in the room, if you've not received one yet, uh, they're on the back radiator there. You can get one. Uh, Sarah, do you want a uh, hand? There you go. There you go. Uh, if you want one. Um, and uh, uh, so you can take notes uh, in those journals if you like. Uh, you can also just uh, uh, 
type them up in your, in your, in your phone or, or your computer. Let me also invite you to turn or launch your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, uh, verses 5 through 13. Before we read the text, um, let me just get something out there. In our culture, we take note of things that we consider uh, exceptional, don't we? Um, how many of you have ever done a top 10 list, you know, or read a top 10 list? I, you know, uh, when, when I'm hanging out with friends, I always like to say, you know, okay, what's favorite top, top 10 rock bands of all time or something like that? And there's never agreement on that. It's, it's subjective. But we like to take note of those things that we consider notable. Well, in our text today, we're introduced to a man, as Sarah mentioned earlier in uh, the kids' teaching time, that had such great faith that Jesus was amazed. Some translations say that Jesus was astonished. And, you know, if you just let that just fall into you for a moment, what it must have been like, the one who was with God in the very beginning, the one who was with God when God created the mountains and the rivers and the seas and the the zebras and the camels and the meerkats and all those other things, the one who was with God was astonished or amazed at this man's faith. Now, that should put us on the edge of our seats. That should make us say, okay, what is it about this guy that amazed Jesus? Let's begin. Matthew chapter 8, verse 5 reads, When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home, paralyzed and suffering terribly. Let me just stop the text just for a moment right there. Jesus lived in a time when Jews lived under Roman occupation, and the Roman military was stationed all throughout the region. They would have uh, troops in various places, and they were there to keep the peace and to do the bidding of the Roman government. A Roman centurion had, uh, as you can imagine by the name, a hundred men in his command, and he was considered the backbone of the Roman army. A centurion had to be someone who could keep his cool, Uh, in battle. He had to be someone that wouldn't rush his troops into battle, uh, but also would be expected to be tough and tenacious and be willing to fight to the death in order to accomplish the mission. A centurion was a thoughtful and strategic warrior, and this centurion had another side to him. He was also compassionate. He cared for his soldier who was ill or the soldier or servant who was wounded and suffering. He had mercy on his servant, and he wanted to help. Anyone in leadership take note of this, whether uh, a leader, uh, man or woman, military or civilian. A leader is often called to be tough and tenacious, but great leaders are tough and tenacious and also merciful and compassionate. By the way, uh, if you'll know, notice, any time a centurion is mentioned in the Bible, it is always in a positive light. So back to the story. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, 
and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subject of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there, be weep, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. Now, I want us to take a closer look at the centurion's noteworthy faith. And as we're doing so, I'd also like us to just surface and lift up some barriers that some people have when it comes to life-changing faith. And as we do so, I just want us to ask God to use this time to, to renew our faith, but also to help us uh, talk to our friends and neighbors who, who may not have uh, saving faith and think through maybe some of the barriers they have. Well, let's get two words out on the table uh, that work together in English that are based on the same word in Greek, and that is the words uh, faith and belief. They're both used in this text, and they come from the same root word in the Greek, pistis. They are used interchangeably in the Bible, and to put it simply, faith is used as a noun, and the word believe is used as a verb. That's just a simple way to, to keep them straight. For example, we say, I have faith, which is a noun, but we would say, I believe in Jesus with a verb. We, we don't say, I faith in Jesus. They're based on the same word, but need to be understood in context. So, for example, you can have faith in something or faith in someone that is not saving and life-changing faith. So, for example, the centurion in the story could have said that he had faith in the Roman goddess of medicine called Minerva. He could have had a sincere faith in this Roman goddess, and he could have believed with great fervor and passion, yet it would not have been faith that Jesus would have commended and called great at all. So we see here that you can believe in something sincerely and be sincerely wrong. I, I say that with humility, but you can believe in something sincerely and be sincerely wrong. So with life-changing faith, there also has to be truth. Let me say that again. With life-changing faith, there also has to be truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus calls us to believe in him and believe in his truth claims. His truth claim that we're all sinners in need of a Savior, that he died on the cross and died the death that was meant for us so that we could have the life that we couldn't have without him, the life, his life here and his life in eternity. To have faith that, not is, that is not grounded in God's truth is dangerous and it leads to a spiritual dead end. And so the barrier, first barrier we see here is belief without truth is a barrier to life-changing faith. This is why Jesus, when he commissioned his disciples at, before he was taken to be the Father, he said, go and teach them. Go and teach everything that I have commanded you. It's why one of the great, great ministries of the church is to teach the truth of Jesus Christ. Some people have never heard the claims of Jesus, and they don't know enough to believe. You know, uh, for the most of my life growing up, I used to think these people were in, in far remote lands, but in reality, there are people all around us today who do not know the truth of Jesus Christ, that do not know about God's grace and God's love, and they do not know about how Jesus comes to us to give us his life to the full. And of course, there are people who know about Jesus but until they add the element of trusting him with their lives, it is not saving faith. 
So there are people who believe in lots of different things, but they don't believe the truth. And there are people who believe a lot about Jesus, but they've never activated faith as a verb, belief as a verb, and trusted in him. James wrote, even demons believe and shudder. Life-changing faith then is believing the truth about Jesus and trusting him with your life. It's believing the truth about Jesus and trusting him with your life. Travis, will you put that cliff climbing picture back up again? If, you, if you've got it there. And again, the, the, the people there might be harder to see, but you know, if you think about the other person on the other end of that line, life-changing faith is grabbing hold of Jesus and trusting him to help you through. Brings us back to our story of the centurion. Notice embedded in his greeting was this element of the relationship. The centurion approached Jesus and addressed him as Lord. As Lord. Here we have a military leader who would be very familiar with the concepts of rank and authority. I remember when I was in the, in the army, I had a, a first sergeant who said, Fag, who is your boss? And I said, which one? I had lots of them, lots of people above me. But this guy knew the chain of command. He knew people He knew that he had people below him who would follow his orders. He also knew he had people above. So here this centurion approached this itinerant Jewish rabbi. And you you would think that he would have demanded deference from Jesus. He was in the power position here, not the other way around. But he goes to Jesus and he calls him Lord. And he tells them that he doesn't even deserve to have Jesus in his home. In this greeting, he came to Jesus humbly and he granted Jesus a respect and authority that is life-changing. He came to Jesus with a humble attitude and at the center of this story, we see that the centurion had a need that even though he was a powerful soldier, he had a need that he could not meet himself. He was at the end of his resources. He didn't, he couldn't help his servant. A faith that work comes to us when we recognize our need for help. We need the salvation of Jesus for our sin sickness. We need his healing and forgiving power. We need his guidance and his leadership over our lives. And like the servant who was paralyzed in suffering, we are spiritually paralyzed without the help of Jesus. We need his healing to bring us life. Faith that works is coupled with our willingness to follow the leadership of Jesus. If you remember from last week, we talked about coming to Christ. As Jesus said, come to me. And when we do, we lay our burdens, all of our burdens at the cross. As he said, come to me, all you who are heavy burdened. And yet when we leave the cross, we take the way of Jesus with us. We take the cross of Jesus with us. That's what discipleship is all about. It is taking on the way of Jesus and allowing his way to shape our very lives. Think of it this way. The call of Jesus is to live a cross-shaped life. It is. On the cross, Jesus gave his life for us so that we might live. Now we expend our lives for him and for the sake of of others so that others can experience 
His life through our mission. Jim Elliott, the great missionary, said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool. By the way, Jim Elliott gave his life on the mission field. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. We can't hold on to our lives. We can't keep it. When we offer it to Jesus, though, we get his life in return. And that life can never, ever be taken away from us. So the second barrier here is is pride. The, The centurion had no pride. He was humble when he came to Jesus. And often pride is a barrier to life-changing faith. There are some who may say, I don't need to be forgiven. I don't need to ask God for the forgiveness of my sins. Or there are some who may say, my way is better than the way of Jesus. You know, thank you, Jesus, for the advice, but I think I'll do this instead of what you want me to do. Often barriers to faith. The way, let me add one more aspect to this. The way of Jesus is a lordship. His authority over our lives and this lordship and his authority in our lives bears the fruit of joyful, glad obedience. It bears the fruit of joy. The centurion had a big heart. He didn't have to care that his servant was healed in order to be successful, but he did. It would have been common in those days for a servant or a soldier to be simply left behind if they were unable to serve, but he cared for him, and he wanted the best for him. The way of Jesus is the way of life. Jesus cares for us and wants the best for us, and we can trust Jesus to lead us into a life that is better and more joyful ultimately than on our own. Last week we talked about this idea of the rest that the Lord gives us. It's not just a day at the beach laying in a hammock, right? But the rest that he gives our souls is he he touches our heart and allows us to love instead of hate. He allows us to forgive instead of having bitterness and holding a grudge. He allows us to be a person of mercy instead of a person of vengeance. He allows us to be a person who wants justice instead of injustice. Our souls find rest in this way of living. That's why he said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Because he gives us the ability to live that way when the opposite of each of those just drags us down and is a heavy burden to carry. And one aspect of the life of Jesus that I believe the church needs to emphasize is that our souls find joy and our souls find pleasure in Him. We live in such a pleasure-addicted culture. But the pleasure our culture is addicted to is like a sugar high. Hyper-entertainment, sports, and so forth. I mean, we even watch the news for infotainment. And a ridiculous amount of time wasted on social media. I mean, it burns off really quick. It's like a sugar high. And then there's a crash. C.S. Lewis wrote about this condition of a pleasure-addicted culture. He said, we are half-hearted creatures fooling around about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer 
of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. But the joy of Jesus shines brilliantly in our lives. The joy of Jesus is knowing, for example, that you made a difference in the life of someone else. I mean, think about this for a moment. Can you imagine how this encounter with Jesus made this centurion feel? Can you imagine that his request, that God used him to, to be the, start the beginnings of the healing of his servant? Do you think in that moment the centurion thought, you know, I, God can use me. I matter. So, barrier number three that some have, the Christian life is dull and boring. Old-fashioned, call it what you want, irrelevant. When Jesus offers just the opposite. Life-changing, not irrelevant. Joy, not dull, not boring. I heard this guy once say that when he goes to a movie, he wants to go to a movie with a, a happy ending. And he said, I don't want to pay $12 or $15 to go to a movie and come out more depressed than when I went in. That's what church is for. That is far more of an indictment on Christians than it is our Jesus. Our Jesus walked this earth full of joy. He went to parties, dinners, and weddings, and banquets. He used humor and irony and exaggeration. Easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle. They had to chuckle when he said that. So a challenge here. Ask God to renew in you the joy of salvation. Don't diminish the reality even of this time. So for example, whenever you're going through a hard time in your life where it's a hard time personally or as we're going through in, in our nation right now, in our world, a time of chaos and uncertainty, as Christians, we don't diminish that. We don't diminish how serious this is. We don't diminish how hard it is. And we turn to the Lord in prayer. But we don't let it define us right? We don't let it define us. We hold on to the one who gives us life. We hold on to the one who defines what it means to follow. Well, back to the story. One of the aspects that astonishes me is the centurion's immediate trust level. He came to Jesus and said, just say the word. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. He didn't say, you know, Jesus, you have to come to my house and lay hands on him or anoint him with oil or anything else like that. He didn't say, Jesus, you know, cook up some potion. He said, just say the word. He didn't hedge. He was all in trusting Jesus. I mean, he just put his chips, all of them, right in the middle. And Jesus said, go. Let it be done as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. Do you see the operative word? Jesus said, go, let it be done just as you believed. Just as you trusted. Just as you believed. Jesus went on to say that others didn't believe in him. Even his own people didn't believe in him, and in so doing, they missed the rescue of their souls. Faith that goes to work every day in our lives 
is a faith where we say, all in. No one would ever go diving near the sharks halfway. You will not skydive with one arm holding on to the plane while the other was jumping out. I mean, I might try that one. I didn't pick number two. You will not climb cliffs halfway. Halfway is dangerous. When you go halfway, you put your life in danger and you miss the adventure. It's the same with Jesus. Halfway is no trust at all. And halfway misses the adventure of putting faith to work every day and experiencing his life and his joy. How about you this morning? Are you all in with Jesus? Have you taken the plunge, the dive, the climb, whatever image you want to use? I want to invite you this morning to amaze Jesus with your faith. Trust him and trust your life to him so completely that he turns to the angels in heaven and says, look at him. Look at her. I have never seen such faith before. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Jesus, um, you call us to a place of belief in you. You call us to, God, not just believe in, in words printed on a page, but to believe in the one who says, I am the way. I'll show you how. I am the truth and I am the life. God, I pray this morning that we would consider our faith. And maybe for those who have, have placed faith and trust in you in the past, God, maybe this time is a time of renewal. And maybe this is a time of, of, of growing deeper in trust. God, we know that sometimes the, the Christian journey is, is about giving our lives to you, and then sometimes we try to take some of it back. So Lord, help us to, to consider what it means to be, be all in and following you, trusting you fully and completely. God, we think about these barriers that some have to, to saving faith, whether it be pride or, or God, if some are, are believing in in something that's false and not true, or whether there are some who believe that your life is just dull and, and Lord, that your life is not joyful and meaningful and purposeful. Lord, whatever the barriers are for people to coming to faith in you, God, would you, would you use your church to, to reduce those barriers? God, would you use your spirit in someone's life to, to Lord, lower those barriers so that they can come to faith? God, the call to believe in you is to trust. And we know that trust is, is taking one step at a time and that trust is a journey. And so, God, we ask now that even as we consider our, our, the rest of this day and our week that's ahead of us, indeed, God, our lives, may we take steps of trust. May we believe as you've called us to. In Jesus' name we pray.
And we humbly ask, amen.